With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. Uh, this is Mike Roth. I'm here today with uh, Jim Semino uh, of Executive Search. He's the CEO of Executive Search. And before I really go through the introduction on Jim, I thought I'd let everyone know what the uh, the lineup of shows over the next couple of weeks is going to be because we really have a phenomenal lineup of people who agreed to share some of their business insights, ideas, uh, and solutions with with us here in Cincinnati, and these are Cincinnati business people. Tomorrow's show is going to be Kevin Alleman, and Kevin is in the industrial janitorial business. Uh, he runs a master franchise for System 4, and he runs that business in three states. The following week, we only have a Friday show. There is no Thursday show. We have a fellow named Brian Wielhauser, who owns a company called Decal Impressions. Uh, they make signs and decals. And if we're really lucky, we'll get Brian to uh, to talk a little bit about his business of converting vehicles to be 100% electric in operation. On May 3rd, Thursday, May 3rd, we're going to have Mark Battaglia. He's with a company. He's the CEO of a company called Thinkvine, and what they do is they figure out what the ROI on your investment in marketing is. That might be handy for a lot of people. Friday, May 4th. We're going to have Peter Wenzel from the General Data Company. They started out making labels for things like uh, test tubes and slides, so the diagnostic tests for things like cancer are correctly reported to the correct patient. Nothing worse than being uh, told you have cancer when you don't, or vice versa. And he's built a whole company on that. He operates in uh, Cincinnati, here in Claremont County, and he's got an operation in Costa Mesa. And it's, it's a fantastic story. Later in May, we have a couple of surprise guests. Oh, I'll tell, I'll tell you one more. We have a manufacturing industry guest, a fellow named Erlen Russell, who runs the sales operations for a company called Tiger Stops. No, that's not a company that had anything to do with Siegfried and Roy or what they should, what they needed. Uh, it's a company that makes material cutoff saws. So a wood manufacturer, for instance, can get the maximum yield out of it, out of the raw material wood, cutting out the knots and getting a, a high return on investment. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Jim and uh, his company, Executive Search. Jim started life as an engineer over at General Motors, and he was the uh, youngest person promoted up to the level of engineering manager up to that point in time that General Motors ever had. He received his engineering degree from uh, Kettering University, a master's degree from Dayton, University of Dayton, and advanced studies in operations research at Ohio State University. So Jim's going to a lot of colleges here in town, around the state of Ohio. Jim's got over 38 years in the search industry, starting with assignments for mid-level professionals and moving up to upper and senior level executives. 
Jim has completed assignments for senior vice presidents, vice presidents of sales, CEOs, presidents, senior vice presidents of the supply chain, principal consultants, the senior vice presidents of operations. Uh, Jim's worked for companies like uh, JLG Industries, Abbott Labs, Hildebrand Industries, uh, P&G, Topps Company, the, uh, the bubblegum company, huh, huh, Jim? Yep. Okay, Cambridge Software, uh, uh, Scandent Technologies, it sounds like it's got something to do with teeth. Uh, software. Software, okay. Numerous other companies over the years, and Jim thinks he's completed over a thousand assignments in executive search. The major traits that Jim employs uh, to make his business grow are insight and strategic thinking, to find individuals from the outside, sometimes from competitors' organizations. One search uh, that he was involved in involved a client who had an informal arrangement with their competitors not to take any of their talent to avoid any uh, musical chair scenario in the industry, yet they wanted the talent with industry experience. Jim showed them how other industries that required similar talent just applied to different products and industries. That resulted in several successful assignments and avoiding those terrible uh, non-compete lawsuits. Jim most recently completed an assignment for a, a company on an extremely tight timetable with a large firm servicing multinational real estate company that held its own portfolio and managed other people managed portfolios for others. They provide real estate services for uh, clients in the United Kingdom, Europe, and India. Uh, that's good. And successfully hired an, indi an individual with an Indian heritage and had working and living experiences in India, Africa, and the U.S. Right. How long did it take you to do that assignment, Jim? About 60 days. About 60 days, start to finish. That's pretty good. Jim, why don't you, uh, you tell the folks, if anyone wants to contact you, how they can uh, get a hold of you after they, they've heard the show. To contact, the office number is 513-204-2302. I don't tell many people, but when I leave the office, that automatically forwards to my cell phone. So if you call that number at any time, day or night, it's going to ring no matter where I am. Our email address is jcimino, and that's C-I-M-I-N-O, at executivesearch.net, and that's all one word. Okay, Jim. If anyone wants to uh, call in and ask Jim a question, I will give you the phone number one time. Uh, it's 646-595-4916. And if this is the first time you're calling in, you'll know that the only time we're going to talk to you to, to figure out what you want to ask Jim is during the commercial breaks. So, Jim, tell us how you made the switch from uh, engineering in the automobile industry to recruiting. So that seems like a, a rather radical change. Well, I left General Motors because at the time I had been working on high-performance vehicles. As a matter of fact, my last project was the mid-engine Corvette, which most people don't realize General Motors built. We actually built two of them and put them on the track. Unfortunately, just before we released them for production, we got a new chairman of the board who said that the future of GM is the Chevette and not the Corvette. Two weeks later, I resigned. I went into an outside sales function and did very well. My company told me that I had a promotion coming to go to Atlanta. I said, gee, my family's in upstate New York. I'd rather not go from southern Ohio to Atlanta. They said, you don't understand. We already have backfilled your position. Your job is now in Atlanta. I decided, as good as I am, I can find another position. Little did I know that I was paid so significantly well that most of the time it was difficult to find another position. I entered the offices of a recruiting firm, not knowing exactly what they did because I never had to use the service before, and the owner said, gee, why don't you come to work for us? Well, one of the things I brought to the market was that I was a degreed engineer and I could speak the language. On more than one occasion, I could have a VP of HR say to me, here's what I need, I really don't understand it, why don't you call my chief engineer, find out what he needs, and by the way, call me back and tell me, so that way they were all on the same page. The end result is I had an astounding growth in the marketplace and ended up being number three in the nation five years in a row out of 3,000 account executives within this particular organization, and we never looked back. Okay, so that's how you got started. And uh, how many years ago did you actually start Executive Search, your own company? 1979. 
1979. As a matter of fact, we have our 38th anniversary coming up the 4th of May. Okay, we'll make sure I'm invited to the big party. Certainly. Okay, uh, speaking about a big party, I, I think over here at Santa we're going to be having a big party uh, to celebrate the release of the new Sandler book called the Sandler Success Principles. This is the follow-up to the Sandler Rules book. Uh, this book is in pre-release on uh, Amazon.com. You can only get it as a hardcover book for the big price of $9.95 or $9.99, plus shipping if you only buy one copy. But uh, it went to uh, the status where they take the orders but don't ship the books. The books will actually ship on the 24th of this month, not too far away. Uh, but so far, with the Monday uh, kickoff date, it's sitting at number four in uh, business books and sales. So that's pretty good. And in the, the general category, it's sitting at about 15. So this is going to be another really big hit bestseller for Sandler. So if you haven't ordered your copy already, please order them. Order them from Amazon so they, they help us stay at the number three place or move up to number one. Uh, and that's really a kind of a moving target. Uh, Jim, you've had the business for 38 years. In the in the last two or three years since the uh, beginning of the Internet uh, and uh, Internet competition in the form of Monster, Career Builder, and the various other ones, uh, have you changed the way you go to market at all? We've adapted to that. What we have found is that the the level of individual that we seek generally does not post nor do they screen uh, uh, positions off of boards like monsters. Now, we do have uh, industry-controlled boards that are strictly for the recruiting industry. They're controlled by associations and groups of other recruiting recruiting firms where we can post, in addition to that, our own board, our own website is a website that is constantly spidered by a number of other uh, other operations out there on the internet. So we post on our own, and then we have people who will come to us. But overall, most of our candidates are passive candidates. That is, candidates who are not looking for positions until we happen to contact them, and those are not people that are going to come off the internet. Right. We uh, we see that in the sales world all the time, where uh, I'm constantly getting calls from people who are saying, uh, Mike, I'm still still working where I am. I'm not happy with my boss. You know, he doubled my quota, cut my commission rate in half, so I have to sell twice as much to make what I made last year. I'm, my resume isn't on Monster or Career Builder. If you find someone, a CEO, that's looking for a good guy like me, let me know. And uh, I, I call those the secret candidates. Right. Those are the ones that are not going to be constantly out on the Internet. There's a fear with a number of them that if they go to the Internet and if they do post, their own company may very well take a look at that or perhaps somebody in the industry, a friend or whatever, and the next thing you know, what should have been confidential is no longer confidential, especially the higher up the organization chart that you go. Somebody thinks they're going to find a senior vice president of any position or a CEO or somebody of that matter uh, logging in and, re- and and listing their background on something like Monster or Career Builder is uh, is wasting their time. That's a non-starter. I mean, that's, that would seem to be a not not a high IQ move. No, it's not. Although it's amazing how many people in the recruiting industry, not the search industry, there's a difference in the recruiting industry, think that they can go out to those boards. That, that's a really good point, Jim. Why don't you explain for the folks what the difference? except there was a point that you didn't understand the difference. What's the difference between search and recruiting? Okay. A recruiting firm is one that will gather resumes in any manner or form. They'll review the resumes, and one of the things that they will do is validate that the individual has the background that the client wants, and that in addition to that, the individual has an interest, preferably a sincere interest, in the client's position. And it ends there, I mean, as far as the screening is concerned. Then they go into the process of setting up the interviews and going through the mechanism of, uh, getting to a point where hopefully there's an offer that's extended. However, a search firm does a significant amount of screening on the front end. Not only will we determine if the candidate has the credentials for the position and also that they're interested in the opportunity, but we pre-qualify them in terms of the fact that if our client is going to make them an offer, are they willing to accept it? 
if there's any concern about that, let's get it out on the front because deals are not lost on the big things. The big things are covered out front. They're lost on the little things, which pop up toward the back side. A good search firm will cover all those little things right on the front end. Our client makes you an offer. Here's what it's going to be. Will you accept? Gee, well, I'm not there yet. Good. What do you need to do to get there? Well, if I do accept, what's going to happen from there? I go in the resign. Are you going to get a counteroffer? Hmm, I hadn't thought about that. Gee, I might. Well, what are you going to do if your client, if your, your current company makes you a counteroffer? Let's go through the what-if assumptive kind of things on the front end so that we get to the point before the candidate is actually presented to the client, that they're interested in the opportunity, willing to hear an offer, and show up for work on the day that they agree would, would be their starting date. So that way there, when the client sees the candidate, it's a matter now of whether or not they like each other and the credentials fit the requirement. We don't have any of these background things. No concern about family moving, children who may be in school going into their senior year. All these little things are covered on the front end. A good search firm will make sure that that's all taken care of before the, can the client even hears of the candidate. Okay, that's really important. Jim, before we continue, we're going to take a, a short break, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. We're going to listen to a Sandler rule, rule number 11. Hi, this is Matthew Newberger with Sandler Training, and I'm here to share Sandler Rule Number 11, Money Does Grow on Trees. Now, if you were to think conceptually for a second, there are three main components to this. One is, is you have to grow your referral network so you don't start from scratch every time you want to develop a client. Two, you have to build branches onto your referral tree. And third, you have to water that tree to keep it healthy. So, the reality today is that it is really hard to start the sales process over and over again from scratch. And there really is a better way. Most of us know it, we just don't follow it. So if you can imagine for a second taking a piece of paper, drawing a vertical line down the center and putting a horizontal line at the bottom, this would be the base of your tree. Every time you add a client, you are adding a branch to that tree. Each branch can sprout more branches. This becomes your referral tree. Somebody who's a professional at what they do understands the simple concept that every time they add a customer, they ask that customer for a referral. And when they get that referral, the next thing they do is they make sure that they take that referral from cool to warm based on their relationship with their existing customer. They take that opportunity, they close that opportunity, they ask for another referral. They take that referral, build off the relationship with the client, and take that referral opportunity from cool to warm to hot. And it's actually something that's really great to see. You watch this tree blossom and you watch this salesperson blossom as well into a very mature professional salesperson. Remember, money does grow on trees. Referral trees. So if you want to learn how to get more referrals, make sure you call me, Mike Roth. At 513-646-6523. I will invite you to a class on how to get referrals. Some of you are doing prospecting. Next week on the 25th, all day cold call camp. Learn how to make your cold calls effective. Get your prospects to, to call you back when you leave a voicemail to the tune of 70% of the time when you leave a voicemail message. They'll call you back within eight business hours. If you're a woman, that might be 85 to 95%. Now, Jim, we're going to change gears here a little, and I'm going to ask you a, a tougher question. Can you tell the folks about a complex problem uh, that you had in your business of executive search over the last few years? Sure. Being in business as long as we have, obviously, we started out when all of our activity was controlled by uh, some form of written documentation. We had various logbooks. We had daily planners. We kept... Uh, good notes and accurate files. Well, that became cumbersome as the age of computers came in, so everybody came up with various systems and software that you could utilize in our industry along with others. What we found is that the generic products 
didn't do the job that we wanted because we came to the conclusion early on that the, whatever system we put in place, including both the software and the hardware, had to mirror the process that our people actually use on a daily basis. The more they had to adjust their method of going to market and doing business to fit the equipment and the software, the less likely they were to use it. So consequently, the, the, the canned programs, uh, the simple software, the, 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 the computers that you can buy down at the local corner store, we realized we're not going to solve the problem. Unfortunately, as expensive as it turned out to be, uh, we ended up with a rather sophisticated hardware and a sophisticated software system. But we can say once installed that our people came up to speed in a matter of just a few weeks, and they were easily melded into the system or the system, if you will, replicated the way they normally did their business and as a result, it became a more effective tool, and our people didn't really even understand the transition. It was virtually seamless. But it took us up to six, almost nine months to finally identify the total package of hardware and software. Right. So did, did you do that yourselves as, as managers and owners, or did you uh, employ outside consultants? At the time, we happened to have an individual who was one of our ISIT recruiters, and before coming to us, he was in that industry. As an aside, the people that work for us come from the industries in which they specialize within our business. Our banking people come from banking, our engineering people, our engineers, uh, if you will, our HR people, our HR specialists. Therefore, in our ISIT area, we had people who were both hardware and software trained. One particular individual was good in that kind of a thing, and so we assigned him the responsibility as project manager, and gave him an additional compensation, obviously, for taking on the project, and he, along with spending time with our people inside, had an accurate view of how, how exactly we went to market, how our daily activities fit, and then he could screen what was out there in terms of both hardware, software, and meld the system together. So you just couldn't pick up an off-the-shelf uh, Salesforce.com or an act to do your job as a recruiter? Could have, but what, have, what would have happened was that our people would have had to significantly change the way they did things to fit the software or the hardware. And over years and years of experience, I've learned that that doesn't happen. Uh, many years ago, I had that project within GM, and we decided to computerize our project management. What we found was that the more that the people, the engineers, engineering managers, had to adjust what they were doing to fit the system in terms of feeding data in and taking data out, the less they were going to use it, and then eventually the system became ineffective. So we knew, therefore, that we had to, we, we couldn't start with the hardware and the software. We had to start with what we did and how we did it and then go out and find something that replicated that. Okay. So what you had is a complex problem, and you applied a complex series of rules to solve that problem. Yes. Good. Let's begin now, Jim, and, and, and talk about uh, one of my favorite topics. Uh, I call it under the broad brush title of strategic planning, okay? And in today's marketplace, there are a lot of companies that have su survived the uh, the last two or three years of, of tough economic times by battening down the hatches, uh, reducing headcount, uh, dramatically reducing inventory or and or production to get through the, the, the economic times. And so... I know I'm talking to, and I'm sure you are, companies that used to be $30 million a year companies, and now they're running at 10 or $15 million. Sure. And the CEO wants to get back up to $30 million or maybe even $50 million. So we have to get into the conversation of long-term strategic planning. And I guess in my book, long-term begins at six months, might go out three years or five years. It does. Okay, let's talk for a moment what a long-term strategic plan should look like in terms of how do we get from where we are now with the people that allowed us to survive the recession to uh, the next level, to move up to the next level. Well, Mike, all too often you'll find an individual taking what they have and trying to transition it into where they want to go and that's literally backwards. What you need to do is start with where you want to be. 
if you want to be a $100 million company, then you need to take a look at what it looks like to be a $100 million company. You cannot consider what you have or where you are today. You need to literally start with a clean sheet of paper. And I will tell you this, a very successful individual many, many years ago, some maybe 30-plus years ago, said to me a very important thing. He said that money and equipment don't build companies. People build companies. So you start with the right people, and you will get where you want to be. And I'm sure we've seen the commercials of you know, people sitting in their garages, and the next thing you know, they're multimillionaires. But it is the people that build it. So strategic planning really begins with deciding where it is you want to be in that time frame, three years, four years, five years, and then constructing an organization that looks like that kind of company. So we need the, the vision first. Correct. Okay. And then we, we need the strategic plan to get from where we are today back up to the level where we were before recession and the level where we want to be over the next three to five years. That's correct. And the other thing that I think is, is subtle but significant is that from about the late, very late 90s through approximately 2007, 2008, the economy was humming so strong. I mean, you know, from about uh, 2001 through 2008, I think we had an average unemployment of about 4.5, 4.6%. So consequently, it wasn't too difficult to grow a company. No offense to those people who did a good job building companies during that time period. But what's happening now is that people have, and people run companies, so therefore, as individuals and as corporate executives, we have begun to become more discerning in the way we spend and in the way that we are going to do, to move forward. Therefore, the technique and technology that you used, the methodology that you used to drive your business in the early 2000s is not going to be the way you're going to grow your company beginning, let's say, in 2013. I've heard industries are looking at, at double-digit growth for 2013, 2014, but that growth is not going to come to companies that are going to just replicate the way they, they were, do business as they've always done in the early 2000s, because you're going to have a more discerning marketplace, you're going to have a more demanding marketplace, you're going to find yourself constricted more on your available availability of capital, and the people that you hire, for fear that they don't want to make a change and find themselves in a bad situation, are going to be more discerning before they're going to come to work for you. Good, Jim. We're going to come back to this topic. Uh, we're going to take a short break here. Hi, I'm Mike Roth. Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Last year was probably a great year. If it wasn't, you'll need to listen real hard for the next few seconds. Albert Einstein said, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results was the definition of insanity. You have to change. Change works. We change salespeople and companies via long-term incremental growth. There are no magic bullets. If you want to make 2011 your best year ever, you need a proven business development process that yields higher profits and sales in less time. If that's your case, we need to talk. Call me at 513-646-6523 or visit our website at RothConsulting.net. Some people need to see it so they understand what we're all about. Call me at 513-646-6523 for a free guest pass to one of our training sessions. This is Mike Roth again with Jim Semino, and we're talking now about uh, strategic planning. And I thought I'd share with you guys, uh, at least the ones who are listening, paying attention, a unique new Sandler idea and something that, that, that Jim and I have talked about for a while now, probably, what, six months? Yes. Uh, this is a, a, method, a new methodology to get a strategic plan in place uh, rather inexpensively, rather fast and, and rather good. It starts with a anonymous evaluation of the company's strengths, weaknesses, threats, and opportunities by each manager done anonymously. Now, the beauty of an anonymous evaluation by the management team in the company and all of the employees is that there's no chance of retribution you get honest data. And what we do is distill that down, getting rid of the, the personal stuff, getting to right to the business. And with the management team, in a short period of time, 
create the outline of what we need to do as a business to get from where we are today, let's say at uh, $5 million a year, to three years from today, be a $15 million a year operation. Uh, and naturally, it's always easier to, to acquire someone else's business and add it to yours. Uh, but that's an expensive form of growth. Uh, when we when we do these kinds of analyses and threats and the opportunities, we discover roadblocks because we got the wrong people in positions on the organization chart. Jim said earlier we start with a blank piece of paper for the new vision. Right. The old people in the old box on the old organization chart work in that world. They may or may not work in the new one. So Jim, let's talk for a minute about talent assessment. How do you assess the talent of the people you have looking for where we want to be in three to five years? Well, first, Mike, let me back up a moment. You mentioned growth by acquisition. Growth by acquisition is a way to immediately increase your sales dollars, but it has an inherent difficulty that's most most of the time uh, unnoticed, and that is you are not merging a business. You are merging people. The end result is you are you now have perhaps duplicity, you have other people who have perhaps a different culture, people with whom you are not familiar, and as a result, even though you may have increased your volume, you may have created an organization that is fraught with conflict or that is less that is suboptimal, and the end result is instead of growing, you actually take the sum of the two businesses and, and decrease it because the organization doesn't flow the way it should. Now, talent assessment, again, begins with a clear definition of where it is you want to go and how this particular piece fits into that total equation. Once you have that defined, then you can take a look at the talent that you have and with a clear, independent, and unbiased assessment, determine if that individual either already has both the capability and the capacity to fulfill what needs to be done, which means they'll drive you where you want to go, or do they have the capability, I'm sure, I should say the capacity, but not yet the capability, which then means that you need to do something relative to the training. All too often, you find people trying to push their current organization into their new organization because it's a known commodity, and that has real serious problems. One of the things that we found, Jim, is in using uh, our profiling process, our three-way profiling process, we find out what the basic, the inherent skills are that an employee has. And then we find out what their competencies are. Competency can be defined as a, uh, a summation or a put-together of various skill sets. And then we look at the job on the new organization chart and figure out whether or not this person has the skills and competencies required for that job. That's Correct. step one. Step two, uh, and a lot, of, a lot of people don't like to talk about this, but I will, IQ, intelligence. There are lots, lots of different types of intelligence, but we have found that, at least in the world of salespeople, people who don't have that basic mental engine, and put that mental engine in gear, aren't going to make it long term. So we have to look at their ability to reason, Mm-hmm. We have in today's world. I think we have to look at people's mathematical capability, especially in something like an engineering job. Absolutely. And the third thing is, uh, what are their behavioral tendencies? Where are they coming from? Are they a detailed-oriented person? And you might want a really detailed-oriented person to to be your CPA, to follow all the rules, to get the debits and credits right. You might want your civil engineer, who's going to build a new road to be a detail-oriented person so the road doesn't collapse and maybe kill some people. On the other side of the coin, if you're looking for a new vice president of sales, you might be looking for someone who is a fast decision-maker, not too detail-oriented, and uh, is a highly assertive person, not aggressive. Although there are some positions where people who are aggressive fit in better. Sure. You know, or... If you're looking for the company comedian, you want you might want to find Jay Leno. Well, they also, I believe, and especially in the sales creative areas, they need to have a high level 
of um, of influence the kind of individual who who will win an argument or or cause people to move the direction they want to go not by forcing them to do that but by convincing them through logic or other that this is the proper method with which to go and so I think that's a very important ingredient for those in the creative areas so this the second thing that we that we really have to look at is is the existing talent developable or trainable correct in, in the world of sales sometimes we wind up with people on the team who have product knowledge but are not trainable and right. when you move to a new organization chart that minor defect turns out to be a major defect and, well Mike in this particular area too uh, it's really critical that that you have both people and systems that are oriented toward being insightful because all too often we will judge an individual's ability to move forward on the basis of the track record in the past. While that is truly an indicator, it is not the solid indicator. There are a lot of people out there who have done a fantastic job getting where they are, but unfortunately they've topped out either in, in their capabilities or quite honestly in their desire. They may have decided that doing what they've had to do to get where they are is no longer what they're willing to invest in their particular position or in their company or in their job to get where we need to go in the next three to five years. So it's really crucial that whatever technique and technology and individuals you put in play during this process are steeped in insightfulness because it's too easy to make a decision. This guy did a great job before. She'll do a great job in the future and find out that you were wrong. Well, it's adjusting the talent. Some people are willing to be trained. Some aren't. The other, the other issue that I think is, is really real in today's marketplace is, you know, how many hours are they going to put into this new job to learn the new job? Sure. You know, there are a lot of people who think uh, 35 or 40 hours a week is all they want to put into the job. They have kids, families, other distractions. Um, in the sales world, you know, I, I think if we interviewed 100 Highly successful people, highly successful, way more than $100,000 a year in earnings. I think we discover most of them, the vast majority, will report that they're working 40, 50, 55 hours a week. Well, and moving forward, especially coming out of where we are, where we know the companies have gone lean, which means that there are a lot of companies out there where individuals are being utilized to their full capacity. And the end result is while we've we've honed our system down to where our companies are now profitable, going forward, that particular individual, until the company can rationalize the addition of new people, that particular individual is going to have to continue to function at that level to perform as needed. On top of that, invest personally in the training and the the acquisition of knowledge and technology to advance to the new level the company wants to go. So we're actually adding a layer of responsibility and commitment on top of these people moving forward. So we're trying to grow a new economy, and it's not going to be as easy as it was. Oh, absolutely not. It is, and I hate I hate these, these vernaculars, but for want of a term, it is a new paradigm. You cannot go to business the way you did in 2004, 2005, 2006, you're not going to be able to do that in 2013, 2014. I think the opportunity for growth is great because we are in a trough and we are starting to come back up. But the same old, same old is not going to work. We had a high-flying economy. Uh, it was virtually impossible to fail, especially, for instance, in building trades, building trades, building products in the early 2000s. Uh, as long as you were there, you had business going forward in 2013, 2014. I've heard numbers of 12, 13% growth in building products, but you're not going to be able to do that the way you did that previously. Right. Uh, the smarter companies will change or they'll be out of business. We just heard of a major window manufacturer here in Cincinnati that closed their doors this week. Their methodology in sales just became obsolete and they wouldn't change because they liked what they were doing. Right. In, in change, sometimes those new boxes on that new organization chart will require someone that's not in the organization today. We can't develop the people we have to fill the box. Jim, how much 
time in today's marketplace should a company allocate to uh, acquire new talent? They at the should, senior level. At the senior level. At the senior level, you should be at least four to six months out from when you want this individual physically sitting at the desk when you are creating the profile and beginning to uh, actuate, if you will, or, or uh, rev up the resources that you're going to use because there's an uncertainty. The, the big part of that process is the creativity of finding the individuals who have, as we say, they have the ability to do the job, they have the desire to do the job, they have no restrictions keeping them from coming to work for you, and ultimately, if extended an offer, they're going to accept it and show up for work. So consequently, if somebody who says, gee, I need this individual on board in 60 days, they're going to have a, a shocking revelation when that doesn't happen. Uh, certainly, it's the old attitude that a blind squirrel can find an acorn. But you're, if you're trying to develop your company, you don't want to operate on that kind of philosophy. So you should be you should be looking at an organization chart and making decisions on those kinds of things at least six months in advance of when that position needs to be filled. So if we're looking at this six-month window, the strategic plan where we're looking at the threats, opportunities, we know close to day one where we have to be six months from now. Sure. And we make that the first um, checkpoint in a three-year plan. Well, the advantage of doing that also is that if you do have an incumbent, there's going to be some need to address that particular issue. Is there a way that that individual can still be utilized and effective within the current organization? If not, you certainly don't want to have to walk into them on a Friday afternoon and say, you know, here's your severance package. We have a new guy starting on Monday. Now, this, this particular individual has been valuable to you for many, many years, and that's not the way that should be handled. So if you know in advance that this may be part of the issue, you have the ability to plan accordingly to put in place various processes and procedures to overcome both the, the transition out and, if you will, the transition in. Jim, let's take another short break here. And uh... This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are we hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 or check our website at rothconsulting.net. Hi, I'm Mike Roth, founder and president of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. You've been listening to me talk about sales, growth, and development for years. Now listen to what my clients have to say. Hi. This is meteorologist Rich Apuzo, Chief Operating Officer at Sky Eye Weather. We are consultants for multi-million dollar businesses that are directly impacted by the weather. I've been a client of Sandler Training by Mike Roth for just over six months, yet even in these tough economic times, our business continues to grow. Mike has done an amazing job with me, and I want to thank the folks at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates for all their help. And hey, when you're talking to Mike about sales, if you need a meteorologist... Ask for my number. To find out more about Sandler Training and how it might grow your business, contact us at 513-646-6523. That's 513-646-6523. Or visit us at www.rothconsulting.net. Well, this is Mike. I'm back here with uh, Jim Cimino. And we're going to continue down this uh, strategic growth path. Let me, let me call it that. Jim, so companies need about six months to hire senior-level talent in today's marketplace. Could be shorter, but planning on that means that they, they should have it covered easily. So let's pretend they've determined that they have a block on the new organization chart that they have to go to the outside to fill. They find the new candidate they hire. Tell us about 
what a great onboarding process would look like so they retain the candidate? Well, uh, we tell our clients that the last decision in the process is not theirs to extend the offer. The last decision in the process is the candidates to accept. So first off, while the candidate may, must sell themselves to the client, the client must continue to sell the opportunity, the company, and by the way, the community to the individual. Long time ago, I learned there were five traumatic events in a human being's life, birth and death of a loved one, change in marital status, and the two that we impact, and that is change in, in position and change in geography. You hire somebody from, say, Chicago to come to Cincinnati, it is a new position and it is a new geography. And as a result, there are trauma involved. You get an acceptance, the individual's all set to go. If you think that two or three weeks from now that individual's going to show up at, at the desk and you're all done, that's where a lot of deals get lost. Because after the individual accepts the offer, there's the notification of the family, who's obviously been involved, but now this is real. They're going to have to pack up. They're going to have to move. They're going to have to lose the infrastructure of friends, doctors, dentists, everything else, may possibly a new school, etc. And onboarding means that you take the time from the time the individual says yes and you have somebody in your organization who is responsible for holding that individual's hand, walking them through things like moving, the real estate activities, perhaps getting them in touch with a real estate agent who, by the way, understands that the responsibility they have on the front end is to sell the deal, not to sell the house. If the individual comes to work in Cincinnati, the real estate agent has the opportunity to sell property. If they try to sell property, they may show them something wrong. The individual comes back and says, gee, I can't afford to live in Cincinnati. And who can't live in Cincinnati if they currently live in Chicago? But I've seen instances where that's been, been a problem because of the real estate agent. So you need somebody that's going to follow that. You need to be sure that two or three times a week you have an individual contacting the candidate, contacting the family, making certain that there aren't hidden problems. Again, deals aren't lost on the big things. They're lost on the little things. Worst thing in the world is to make an offer, have somebody accept it, expect them to show up next Monday and get a call Sunday night at home, I'm not coming because. Onboarding is holding their hand all through that, solving those little problems. It's a traumatic event. Then once they get there, you have somebody walking in the front door who doesn't know what their department looks like, doesn't know where their desk is going to be. Onboarding means we need to meld them into the culture of the company, into the human aspects, maybe such things as having meetings with people with whom they're going to interact, taking them out to a lunch where the, the people that, with whom they're going to inter interact will be there so that they can, they can meet these people in an informal as opposed to a business setting, checking with the family. If it's a male, checking with the wife at home, making certain that she's finding the kind of things that she needs, making certain that they're melded into the community. Are there certain, uh, do they need certain religious things? Take care of them to inter introduce them to, you know, a priest or pastor, you know, a, a uh, um, get them in them perhaps the right synagogue. It depends upon those kind of things. If the family and the individual are culturally melded into the company and the community, then, the, then that particular individual will become significantly more productive because they immediately can focus their efforts on accomplishing the task at hand as opposed to worrying about what's going on at home or how are they going to do this or how are they going to do that. If you fail to meld them into the community and the culture of the company to the extent that that failure exists, you risk the prospect of sometime in the future, a month, two months, six months, the individual is going to come in and say, we just can't do it, we can't make it here, we don't like it here, we can't meld in and then you've lost a considerable amount of money. Well, you've lost money. You've also lost the the va future value of that employee. Absolutely. Uh, I know I got here to Cincinnati uh, when Hines moved uh, from uh, Long Beach, California to, uh, to Cincinnati, and there were a substantial number of people who, after six months in Cincinnati, said, I'm going back to California. Absolutely. These were valuable employees that then had to be replaced, and, re and you had to find someone new who had the talent that could be trained. So it was a tremendous loss uh, because the company failed in either the onboarding process of the new location, they cut corners, or be the retention process 
I kind of think of it, Jim, as boat anchors. Okay, and being an old boat, boat guy yourself, you know about boat anchors. Uh, I've lost one or two. You lost one or two. If you if you fail to pick up the anchor, just gun the anchor. What happens? You go nowhere. You go nowhere. Hmm. So part of the onboarding process uh, to make it a strategic strength is to figure out a way to cut the old anchors. Yes. And, and if you will, let me interject that onboarding really also has begins back in the recruiting process because if you're dealing with somebody that may have a cultural problem because they didn't meld in, that could be something that was inherent that should have been known at the beginning of the recruiting process. Again, that sort of it, it's not these are not distinct ingredients. They sort of all flow one from the other. As a result, our organization does a significant amount of onboarding. When we get an acceptance from one of our candidates, we don't send out an invoice and turn around and walk away. We recognize that that individual needs to show up. They need to feel comfortable. We know that because our reputation is on the line with our clients, that this individual needs to be there six months, nine months, three years from now. And as a result, we do everything that we can to be able to affect that. However, it, com- it is better served if it comes from from an organization or people within inside the client company itself. You know, we, I had that same kind of a problem when I moved here from, from Los Angeles. I wanted to take my lead technician along with me. Uh, he was a Hispanic fellow, did a phenomenal job. And so I said, hey, I'll, I'll take you along with me, put you into a, a similar position in our company, same rate of pay. And he said, Jim? Didn't want to move. No Hispanic community to speak of in Cincinnati at the time. He said, I don't know anybody. My wife won't know anybody. My kids would be forced into a different school. Right. That stopped that deal. Uh, And because I didn't get him to come up along with me, it probably changed my thought process of what line of business I would be in when I got to Cincinnati. Because if he had come, I'd be in the I would have been a phone and a connect dealer and a computer uh, reseller and networking gear kind of a, co- a company. Uh, because he was a key uh, pin that I needed uh, that that made us strong. So well, it's back to. Uh, equipment and money don't build companies. People build companies. Right, you got to get the right people, and uh, and when you get them, you got to keep them. Look, in California, it probably took me two years to find that guy, and uh, I actually found him by accident in a telephone equipment room. Uh huh. You know, one tech talking to another. That's how we found the guy. He was phenomenal, but we couldn't we couldn't move him. And, and move the business as, as it existed in LA. So we had, we, I started a whole new business. Uh, now, now, Jim, if someone does a uh, long-term strategic plan and creates that new vision, the new organization chart, uh, and the new uh, talent requirements that they have, how much time do you think they should? allocate to an activity like that. In the development of? Yeah, because this is something that a lot of people, uh, a lot of CEOs like you, who see the future and they want to get bigger again. Well, it's a constant thing. I remember talking to a client that said, we do a five-year plan. He said, we're coming up to do it again. He said, we'll take three months to put it together. When it's all done, it'll come out in a nice, neat book. Then it'll end up in the bottom drawer of the desk, and you know, we'll pull it out next year again. We'll do the whole thing all over. Bottom line is that this is constant. That is, at some point during the day or during the week, everybody involved in that process, from the CEO all the way down to first-level management, must know where they stand in comparison to that game plan. And you can't do that on a quarterly or a five-month or a six-month review. This must be forefront. So how much time do you spend on it? You have to allocate a certain percentage of your time consistently as you go forward so that you know when you're on track and you can identify immediately when you're beginning to go off track. You know, our, 
our guesstimate here, Jim, is that from the time someone says, let's do a new strategic plan, uh, by the time we get the SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats back from the key management team and the key employees until we have a process to implement, we're probably looking at 30 days. Well, I would think that would be minimal. You know, again, this is not the kind of thing you're going to say, let's do it now, and it's done in five days or a week. It's not going to happen. It could happen in a smaller company with a smaller executive team. The bigger the team, the more time it's going to take that first step to happen. I'd like to say if we, get, if we can get it done in a week, it may or may not happen. It might take a month. But that's why, from my perspective, I think a strategic planning process has got to look out, starting at six months from today, too many things happen. Right. Can't, you, I would like to say, hey, let's make it 30 days or 90 days. No, it's it's really going to be six months before we're going to begin to see impact of following this new plan. I think one of the, the tests and the concern I would have is that the shorter the time it takes to accomplish this, the more I would be concerned that preconceived notions have entered into the process, which means you've already put your drop of vinegar into the bottle of wine. Uh, you need to start with a clean sheet of paper, and if you can do this in a short period of time, I question whether or not you really did. Right, and, and that's one of the reasons that the process that we use here at Sandler uh, is a anonymous process so that everyone is honest. Because if you, you make them sign their, their name to it, uh, what, what you get is what they think you want to hear as opposed to the real truth. Absolutely. And dealing with the truth is, is what we're all about. Now, Jim, before we run out of time, tell the folks again how they can get a hold of you if they're looking for high management uh, employees. Okay. The website is www.executivesearch.net. Obviously, our emails follow off of that. Mine is jcimino, C-I-M-I-N-O, at executivesearch.net. All the others will have links from the web page to the particular individual involved in our specialists, as I mentioned all come from the industries in which they work with us. An engineer has been an engineer, a banker has been a banker, and so on. The phone number for for getting to me direct, and that's probably the best way to start, because then I can direct your call from there. The direct number is 513-204-2302, and as I say, that number will find me any time of the day, the weekend, wherever I happen to be. So, Jim, I think in, in, in fast summary, uh, what we want to do is to grow, dramatically grow, is to create this strategic plan. Then assess the talent that you have to match the plan. Develop the talent that you have. That might involve sales training. It might involve some other kind of outside training. You may have to move what box someone is and adjust the talent to where you want to be as opposed to where you have been. Uh, then make the determination that we have an open box on our org chart and we need a new uh, VP of purchasing. And we begin the, the process of finding right. that right person. Uh, and in that process, what I've always found to be the uh, the bugaboo is the counter offer. Right. In maybe 20 seconds here, Jim, could you tell the folks what you do to stop counter-offers from getting the new talent? Well, one of my key account executives many years ago was in the middle of a recruiting call, and I heard her say, now, if you walked into the boss's office and you told him you were leaving, what would he say? And the comment back was, I haven't even interviewed. I don't have an offer. Why are we talking about this? Her comment was, because if you are prone to accept a counter-offer, we need to know that now. So the counteroffer should be covered on the very front end. doesn't mean that something is going to happen on the back end. We're human beings. But it does mean that if you take care of it on the front end, it's less apt to get you in the backside on the back end. Great. Hey, Jim, thanks a lot for uh, being with us here today. And uh, feel free to pick up the phone and call Jim or call me if you have any questions. Mike Roth, 513-646-6523. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.